0: Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing?
1: A little bit better than I was the first time we tried to record this. Yeah. Uh, But uh, yeah, it's uh, my allergies are really destroying me uh, right now. So apologies in advance to the listener. If I am uh, not up to uh, up to par, Uh, I feel I feel slightly out of commission.
0: I was gonna say not up to snuff, but there's gonna be a lot of snuffling around. <laughs> uh, so try not to do it on mic.
1: Yeah, I'll, tr- I'll, I'll try to turn. Yeah, mic.
0: I uh, the thing is, I won't go into. We did start to record before, and then uh, GarageBand gave us some trouble. So um, Which it
1: keeps doing lately.
0: Yeah, it's very frustrating. So, um, so as I, so I won't go into as much detail there. It. But uh, I am not allergic to anything, and I have no allergies in general. Because I know, because pl- like I know people that say I'm allergic to this, 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 but then there are other people that just say I have allergies. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I'm very aware of my own physical shortcomings, and I'm and I dwell on them way too much, and I tend to look at people that I know and say like, and think to myself like, oh, they've got this going for them, they've got that going for them, mm-hmm. and I. Totally in that moment, neglect what I might have going for me, which as far as I can tell is basically just, I've got some, my shoulders are all right, right? they, they look okay <laughs> in, in, in the right shirt. Um, but, uh, but I the, have uh, beautiful blue eyes, I'm told. Well, at the moment they're almost swollen shut with your yeah, allergies, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, and so, but every time allergy season rolls around, that is a reminder from basically everyone I know. That like, oh, okay, this is one thing I have.
1: <laughs> it's the, it's, I feel like, I feel like freaking Wolverine around allergy season. <laughs> so. And this, I, I don't even know. I mean, it's, it's late summer right now. I don't know if this is technically allergy season. I don't know what allergy season is. I, I just feel like I can.
0: Now by late summer, you mean fall.
1: Um, well,
0: not. We're long. into September now. Yeah. It's so 95 it's
1: 95 degrees outside. <laughs> I know
0: it's, it's surprisingly <laughs> warm for fall.
1: No, That's the way I fall. see it. Huh? What was that? It's this is summer. No, but it's September. Thus, it is fall. <laughs> but we have not reached the what's it called um, autumn, the fall equinox. Ooh. We have not reached the fall equinox yet. You know what? That's I may September give Twenty
0: something. I may give up my whole like, you know, fall like my seasonal every three month thing. So that I can say equinox, it's not. It's something <laughs> I, mean, I don't get. Because
1: to I, I totally understand, like the simplicity of like this, this, this. But if you look at the at the weather, it's usually still very hot at the beginning of September. It sure is, and it's usually not that hot yet at the beginning of June. That's that's very true. Yeah. So uh, it makes more sense if you're going in, in terms of weather and temperature. That summer is roughly June 21st to September 21st. I go by school year, but school year start in August. They do here. Yes. They like, did, and when I was a when I was a little kid, uh, school always started after Labor Day, and then probably about fifth grade, fourth fifth grade, it started being the end of August. Yeah, so it was that or that that long ago.
0: So okay, speaking of Labor Day, Labor Day is on a different day every year, right? Because it always has to land on a Monday, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. Is I don't the first like that. Monday in September?
0: Is that what it is? That sounds right to me. Yeah,
1: I think that's what it is. First I don't like that. Why not? You have a problem with Thanksgiving being the third Thursday in? Fourth. Is it the fourth? Yeah, it's the yeah. fourth Thursday. Uh, yes, I do. Why?
0: 25th, February 14th, uh, you know, 4th of July. I like these things. It's like, that's right. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. That's how immutable these days are. I don't know. It's I I like a certain Uh, degree.
1: It's just as immutable the other way. My birthday's always
0: February twenty fifth. (laughs) Sometimes that falls on a Tuesday, and it's uh, frustrating.
1: This is so silly. (laughs) It's just as immutable the other way. It's always the fourth Thursday. It's always the first Monday. It doesn't. Yeah, but
0: that's the thing is that they're making they're deciding it'll be like a Monday, so you can have a long weekend. The Thursday thing makes no sense to me at all. But, like, at least... You get a long... Well, some people do have to work on that Friday. I know, I, which I is, feel very bad for them. I feel bad for them, too. That's absolute horseshit. But, no, it's... That's the thing. Is just, like... It just comes... They just decide, oh, it'll be the first Monday in September. And that way, you'll always get a three-day weekend, and it'll be just fine. And just... It's like, well, now you're just making... You're just making this shit up so people have a long weekend... Like, it's all, it's all based on some, I don't know, for some reason. But you're still uh, by the <laughs> way, I'm playing up how bothered I am by this. It doesn't really get to me you're that much. You're
1: still observing the thing.
0: I guess so, but like, when you're just like, eh, it's, you know, the day doesn't matter. It's just whenever, you know, who gives a shit? Like, it's I feel just. Like
1: you're just putting too much importance on numbers.
0: Yeah. You know why? Because math doesn't change. Numbers don't change. Right. People change. They and sure do, so David.
1: The, se- the 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 first Monday in September will always be the first Monday in September. There will always be a number of Mondays in September, and there will always be a first one. So it's just as much part of the math. I know, but what date is that? That's what <laughs> I want. Like, I want dates. <laughs> you're clinging on to these dates. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the thing. So you're it's clinging like, on to these dates like that monkey in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs>
0: uh you know what i say those are bad
1: dates
0: (laughs) (laughs) moving on so speaking of you were talking a moment ago about uh we'll get to our sponsors in a moment yeah yeah. uh but you were talking a moment ago about uh, you know when you were talking about when we were kids and and uh this is and by the way like the holiday thing always bothered me when i was a kid as well um mostly just because i didn't i didn't know the rules that's the thing i
1: guess is like you have to know the like the one i don't know is easter like oh, I know that, it's a Sunday, but I can't figure it out. That's one where it's like, all right, fellow Christians, we got to get our shit together and just decide a day. I feel like I'm probably wrong, but I feel like sometimes it's in February and sometimes it's in April. And I don't think it's ever it's in, in March. Mar- I don't think it's
0: ever in February. It, but like sometimes it's in March, and it's just and I recognize it needs to be a Sunday because of what it symbolizes. But like if that's changing all the time, no wonder people are dropping out of the church. Like it's just because <laughs> there's no consistency. It's whatever we want it to be. I don't like it anyway. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, being children and that sort of thing. And there is something that I grew up with that Mm -hmm. a number of other people grew up with. And that is a man named Cal
1: Worthington, Mm -hmm. a noted, uh, car salesman. Yeah. I mean, he, he also, he owned the dealership. Yeah. 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 (laughs) He wasn't just a guy who worked (laughs) there.
0: I guess he basically had a car sale,
1: you know, empire. Yeah. Uh, Worthing, Worthington Ford. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, you know, I've talked a lot uh, on this podcast about how I've come to love Los Angeles and California in general, um, and I didn't have the uh, experience of growing up with Cal Worthington. I mm-hmm. discovered him when I when I moved out here, but my um, uh, my girlfriend is uh, a native, and so she, you know, she was a fan of Cal Worthington, and uh, uh, he he basically he died on um, Sunday the eighth okay of september uh he was 92 yeah he's he an old guy watching football at his home it's kind of seems like a pretty good way to go
0: yeah uh but, but... he was
1: assassinated that's the thing <laughs> um but uh for those who don't know he was every uh i guess the reason i'm i feel okay bringing up this like local thing on the podcast is That it's a bit of local color that every place has. Every place has local TV pitchmen. Absolutely,
0: and that's the that's one of the and also they're asked because he's
1: local to Los Angeles,
0: which is where the film industry is located. You will actually find Cal Worthington types in movies a lot. You you ever seen Made in America with Ted Danson and uh, Whoopi Goldberg? No. Okay, he basically plays a a Cal Worthington type of uh, car guy. Anyway, um, yeah, that's that to me is what's fascinating is you know uh i mean you lived in springfield for a sh- for a short time you may recall woody justice uh, of I justice don't. jewelers if you you weren't there long enough
1: wait was that the one where uh there there was an an ad for a jewelry place or like a cash for gold place that i used to see in springfield um where it was. It wasn't the guy. It was like the 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 young. There's always a young blonde woman in every like Cash for Gold yes. uh, ad, and she was talking about how some places, um, uh, charge exorbitant fees. That was that was what she said. Mm-hmm. But clearly, they, a wanted to really emphasize how exorbitant they were, or they needed to add a millisecond to the ad. Okay, and so they had her. So it, they, it's she. What she says, if you're listening, she says some places charge. Exorbitant, exorbitant fees. But she only said it once during the take. It's mid take. They just like make her like <laughs> jumped back. So she
0: says exorbitant, exorbitant fees. Here's the thing I, I guarantee you that is not a Justice Jeweler's ad. They're, okay. they're, they're more savvy than that. Okay. <laughs> but uh, that does have the stench of a cash <laughs> for gold place. Yeah. Exorbitant, exorbitant fees. Um, even if they did have her say it twice, it's still ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Saying
1: a word, I, I always think of. Uh, we're so off topic, but in keeping with movies, um, uh, a life less ordinary. No, mm. um, is that that's the one with Cameron uh, Diaz and uh, yeah, yeah, Ian McGregor. Okay, so, Holly Hunter and Delroy Lindo play angels. You remember? Yep. And Holly Hunter is quite taken with, uh, I guess, uh, the pleasures of the flesh when she's down on earth, and she's re- she reads romance novels out loud. Mm-hmm. And there's and it's such bad writing, the romance novel intentionally. And at one point, there's a reference to his torrid, torrid flesh. <laughs> 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 That's
0: brilliant. Um, but yeah, and so, uh, no, Woody Justice was a guy who had uh, – his whole thing was – I mean, he had a whole thing worked out, as I'm sure they all did. I mean, Cal Worthington, he had animals.
1: Yeah, he, yeah, he would always – his thing was he would have his – he would refer to him as his dog spot, mm-hmm. but every – uh, like, uh, uh, every time it was a different, like, exotic yeah. animal. Sometimes it was, like, a
0: tiger or yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, And so uh, Woody Justice had Waka Waka, which was that diamond is so big, you go Waka Waka. And so, <laughs> so much so that uh, when my uh, fellow Friday Rewind staff members, the Friday Rewind was the name of the uh, TV, the monthly TV show uh-huh. uh, in high school that I was part of the staff uh, of. And... um And when we did uh, our parody of Batman called Fat Man in which my my friend Willie Gold, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, he's a very large man. And so – and I remember it was so – we were trying to figure out what to do and like maybe we could do a superhero thing. And then I actually – I felt ashamed that I was saying this but I was like, guys, it's right in front of us. (laughs) Willie is four hundred pounds. We just do fat man. It's it's it, th- this thing writes itself. But anyway, uh, and so the whole thing is that uh, someone has stolen the Waka Waka diamond from Woody from Woody Justice's <laughs> mansion. And uh, I remember that. Yeah. And so it was just uh, and and Woody Justice actually, my mom told me that he uh, he passed away last year. Oh wow! And so like, and in Denver there was Jake Jabs who was a furniture guy, and it was oh, like yeah. there's always in someone in St. Louis.
1: There was. Oh, no. Is it Roth's Furniture? Anyway, it was a bunch of uh, white dorks. Um, but <laughs> the best one in St. Louis was uh, <laughs> a, a company that I, I don't even I think they were also Furniture. I don't even remember. It's not important. What's important is that the name of the place was <laughs> Schweig Because it was two people, Schweig and Angle. Yeah. So they were Schweig Angle. But it was three guys who did the ads. And they always did green screens. Okay. And to this day, it is seared into my brain, their Christmas ad, which was them on a sleigh, like they're delivering presents with a green screen. So they're like pretending like they're hanging on for dear life. Yeah. And they're singing, uh, no money down, no money down, no money down today. <laughs> <laughs> Would, oh, my gosh. I will never forget that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's – it's this is what people are missing with streaming, you know, these uh, ridiculous yeah. commercials. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and so it's it's so fascinating to think – the thing that – okay, so a friend of mine uh, recently told me that uh, he noticed, as I'm sure the, the listener has, that uh, there are certain phrases that you and I will return to over and over sure, again. Sure, yeah. And one of, the, one of mine is fascinating. Uh-huh. Uh, I use the word fascinating a lot. And immediately I was like, "Oh man, I guess I, I guess I do use that a lot." And then I was like, "I am fascinated by almost everything, though." Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm fascinated by is the idea that, you know, Cal Worthington, Jake Jabs, jangle or whatever, Schweigangle. Schweigangle, um, Woody Justice, like these guys in many in many ways are just as much a part of our lives as, like, movie stars, but we would never think about them. They just become sort of white noise. If anything, we remember how ridiculous they are. Waka waka, here's a tiger that I call my dog, and, you know, no money down. Like, it's just, like, we think of these silly things, but they're a big part of our lives, and we absorb it just as much as anything else.
1: Um, The last thing I want to say, (laughs) Cal Worthington-related, is that my my ex-girlfriend used to play in a band. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think you came to see them at least. The Black once. Comets. The Black Comets, yes. Um, they don't exist anymore. Featuring but, uh,
0: uh, AST's Ryan McManaman.
1: That's right, Ryan McManaman. Um, anyway, uh, they would sometimes play shows with a band called Pussy Cow. And what I came to realize is that, I guess, among people who grew up out here, that's kind of an inside joke, that Cal Worthington's catchphrase, Go See Cal, Go See Cal, sounds like Pussy Cow. That's what I thought it was when I was a kid. <laughs> that's what, And I was that, like, my Natalie, my girlfriend says the same thing. Yeah. She grew up out here. Uh, and that's the thing is I just thought like, cause when I, cause I
0: was too young to know what pussy, what the different things it could mean. <laughs> right. I thought I was like, so it was like a, is it like a cat, but it's a cow. Is that like, <laughs> is that clever? Or is there literally an animal called a pussy cow? That's weird. And so like, so I, that's what I thought it was for, a, for years. Probably longer than I should yeah.
1: have. Oh, uh, Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, okay, we're done with Kelvington. You know what? Speaking of longer than you should have, I always grew up referring to yo play yogurt as yo plate.
0: Oh and yeah.
1: By grow up, I mean like until a few years ago, <laughs> and to this day, like uh, I see the word and I think yo plate. I don't think yo play. But like it's like it's like everyone knew that it was pronounced yo play mm-hmm. and never told me somehow. I don't know how it like it's so ingrained in me that it's pronounced yo play. uh, That's interesting. Let me ask you this because I mean, you undoubtedly heard people say yo play. I'm not sure that I. I guess I must have at some point. But how many conversations have you really had about yo play? Me? Yeah.
0: Tons.
1: (laughs) I had three today. (laughs) Conversations or yo plays.
0: Both, <laughs> I ha-
1: I had a yo play,
0: and then I called a friend and said, "You'll never guess what I Different just had." Different friend each time. <laughs> Absolutely, I don't want to bore my friends, but uh, it's something I find fascinating.
1: All right, did you have anything else to say about pronunciations? <laughs> uh, no, because that's something that you
0: I remember ye- uh, years ago. You talked about uh, you would use
1: the word segue, but oh, yeah, when yeah. you saw it spelled, you said Sieg. Yeah, I thought it was a different word that I guess meant the same th- I never put two and two together when I was, that they meant the same thing and were in fact the same word.
0: When I was young, I knew that I knew the word chaos and I knew what it meant, but I didn't know. But when I first saw it, I was like, Chaus, uh-huh. the hell is that? That's weird.
1: Um, the one other one for me is awry. Things went awry. I would mm-hmm. think it was Auri or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, Oh, there was one more I was going to, I can't remember.
0: I, I'm sure I'll think <laughs> of several more, but, uh, but yeah, and so. Um,
1: oh, well, then there's also the fact that I'm not a basketball fan. And so when I see the name of Boston's professional basketball team, I, I think and say Celtic. Oh, right. Because that's what the Which word is. Which is what it should be. <laughs> uh, and the fact that, that people pronounce it Celtic is. Uh, they're all wrong. Like, I don't understand. But then, then again, that's just the way language works sometimes. I understand. No. Also, have you ever tried to correct somebody from Boston? It won't yeah. go well. No. They're a violent people. <laughs> Uh, have you ever tried you using on that particular issue you've tried Any to issue? To okay.
0: They'll throw a battery at you.
1: Um, next time we have someone from Boston on, we should talk about the why the team is called the Celtics if that
0: Okay. We do we we know some some Boston where people. Where that came from? Cuz yeah. it's
1: very weird. But then also in Nor- like in France, there's a a, a town in a, a famous cathedral uh called Chartres C H A R T R E S. Okay, yeah. Um, in New Orleans, there's a street spelled that way. It's pronounced charters.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, and then one of the things like, like Illinois Uh and then Des Moines, but then there's like Des Plaines. I've heard people say Des Plaines. Um, yeah, it's very frustrating. That's very interesting.
1: Okay. We're off topic. Um, I want to, well, there wasn't
0: much of a topic to begin with. We were just sort of commenting on, uh. This odd aspect of our lives that no one thinks about until it is gone. I found myself strangely heartbroken that Woody Justice died. I didn't know right.
1: him. And Cal Worthington. And Cal sure. Worthington. Um, and Jake Jabs is probably on his way out. He was, he was getting older. <laughs> the Swag Angle guys, they'll, they'll, they'll outlive us all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh before we move on, I want to talk to you real quick about tweakedaudio.com, which is uh, where you find um, professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. And if you go to com slash pretension, you get all that with one third off, and you don't have to pay for the shipping. So com slash pretension is where you want to go if you want to be one of the cool kids. I'll do, I'll, uh, I'll do this. It's fine. You, you did it last week. I know, but you got allergies. What if I want to do it? Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, but last week we did talk about... Uh, how, um, uh, Malcolm, uh, in, in the UK, right? In the UK mm-hmm. fixed our, um, our audio and was, uh, a, a miracle worker with that. And so I do, we do want to tell you about him again. Um, his, his deal, his thing is called fixed it. That's F I X E D one T. And Fixed It is run by UK analog synth builder and electro musician, Malcolm Dixon. Years of working with audio means Fixed It has the skills and tools to open broken digital audio files and extract what's inside. He can also take a poor quality recording and He can also take poor quality recordings... That's a typo on your part, sorry. ...and breathe some new life into them. Fixed It has also created a suite of small, inexpensive programs to allow Mac GarageBand users to take songs off the Mac and onto the iPad 2, iPhone 4, and iPod Touch so users can work on songs on the move. For more information, just go to FixedIt, that's F-I-X-E-D-1-T dot co dot U-K, or click on the Skyscraper ad at BattleshipPretension.com.
0: And you know what? I even had a moment because, as we mentioned, we started recording this episode and then something went wrong with GarageBand, and uh, I had the thoughts like, oh man, what if... What if the thing happened, what if it happens that happened, you know, three weeks ago? And it's like, it's not supposed to, it's, it's, I, I read up on it and it's a fluke. It's something that mm-hmm. happens to everyone eventually, but it doesn't happen very often. And so, but I thought like, what if it happens to us every few weeks? And I thought, no problem.
1: Yeah. We got, I know that sounds weird, but I just. Malcolm and fixed it on yeah. our side in our corner.
0: Yeah. And I know that may sound, it may sound as though I'm saying that like as a shill, but like He's not. I should specify. He hasn't paid us any money. We're do, we're we're doing this because he he fixed because what for he us. does
1: works. Yes,
0: and so we can <laughs> yeah. very specifically recommend him. Yeah, yeah. So, and I have no doubt I will be probably throwing something his way at some point in the future. Oh yeah, because we're gonna keep doing this show until we die.
1: And all the other shows that we do. Yeah. Um. So speaking of the shows that we do, we do this one. Oh wait, you know what? I, before we move on, I forgot to. I yeah, I was to, wondering it, what that went stuff to was with the PO box this morning in our. Uh, uh, our friend and listener Caleb um, has made himself. He's gone. He's gone retro in a way that I totally respect. Okay. He didn't start a podcast. He didn't start a blog. He started a zine. Like oh wow. Like I used to read in the '90s and pick up at punk shows uh, in in St. Louis. So he started a zine called I think I'm guessing it's called Screening Pass. Or I don't know if that's just the art on here. Um, and he does not. Uh, he he wrote us a letter, which I won't won't read it on the air. That's not uh, for public consumption necessarily. It's remarkably dirty. <laughs> um, but he's currently in D.C. looking for a new job, and uh, had some free time before he uh, before he moved and, and and put together the first issue of his zine. Oh, it is called Screening Pass, uh, and it's and it's pretty awesome. It's got uh, an interview with the Projectionist. Um, it's got a it's got a review. It's got a little essay. Um, on on movie theater uh, experiences and what he uh, now he doesn't give an address because again this is not a blog this is a zine mm-hmm. but I'm guessing if you want a copy you can email him at screeningpass77 at gmail dot com so you should definitely check that out because um, it's it's uh it's really cool um, zines are a really cool thing. Uh, and they they do still exist. Uh it's you know it, it, they didn't all just turn into blogs. Like yeah. people still make zines and I think that's really awesome. Uh so thanks to Caleb. Yes, thank you very much. So um guess what? This is episode 340 as you've noticed um and that means that because the episode the number of the episode that's in the description um ends with a zero and yet is not divisible by 50, Mm -hmm. that means that this is a profile episode. Yeah. In in
0: 10 weeks, though, you know, all bets are off.
1: That's right. We got to find something to do with that. Yeah, we'll be fine. We got 10 weeks. Okay. Um, uh, Now, speaking of um, uh, old men who died. Yeah. That's a (laughs) – in my mind, I was like, well, that's the transition.
0: But we can't do that, right? That seems callous. (laughs)
1: But uh, old men who you kind of equate with cowboy hats have died, <laughs> right?
0: You can do this episode on your own. I'm just going to – I'll sit here so you have someone to talk to, you're but saying, I've got nothing to say. You're going to see the
1: correlation between Cal Worthington and our, 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 our subject today, our, our, our profilee
0: uh there's yeah okay i could i can see it not merely because like i could see a cal worthington type existing in uh, a novel by this man uh kind of not to imply that cal worthington was a huckster but he gave a certain impression uh and uh the the subject of today's profile tended to write about low-level hucksters and who still had a certain degree of showmanship
1: yes so uh speaking of showmanship this guy himself had it in spades Mm -hmm. um and his name was Elmore Leonard he died uh, i don't have the date in front of me but he died recently yeah very like in the last few weeks um and uh Talia, you've printed out this list of uh, of of film and television projects that were inspired by Elmore, Le- Elmore Leonard's Elmore Leonard's writing or written by him mm-hmm. uh and hey there's a lot more than i realized
0: yeah oh and there's and Okay, go ahead, sorry. A-, a
1: and B, I have seen very few of them.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's El- Elmore Lanners he's fascinating to me. Uh we talked about him very briefly last week with uh, Pat, and by the way, thank you to Pat for being on the show. Um Oh, did we not this time.
1: Oh right. I thanked him in yeah. our lost our lost minute and thirty seven seconds. <laughs> oh. Hey everybody,
0: if you want to pay a dollar twenty nine, you can get that minute and twenty and thirty seven <laughs> seconds.
1: I don't I think I deleted it. Oh man. Oh, oh, but we, can it's not, we can get it back, back. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: We'll give him, uh, let's say five more weeks of, uh, of pitches on, on, on the show. Um, but yeah, uh, so I was, after he passed away, I mean, I knew he was older. And so while of course it was sad that he, that he died, um, you know, he left behind a huge body of work, you know, um, as opposed to there, there are some people like, you know, authors or actors or whatever, like the, like James Gandolfini that we were talking about last week. Um, who, they pass away, like, really in their prime. You feel like they're just, like, even if they've done amazing things, you feel like, oh, they've got decades worth
1: mm-hmm.
0: of, you know, more. Like, for example, uh, what is it? Um, Enough Said is uh, starting to get reviews, and it's being very well-reviewed. Oh, good. Um, And specifically that he is being very un-Tony Soprano-like, which everyone said is very refreshing and yeah, would have t- uh, taken his career in another direction.
1: It's a rare trailer that I saw. Okay. I don't see trailers very often, but I happened to go to a theater to see Blue Jasmine and they were showing the Enough said trailer. And even mm-hmm. from that, uh within the space of the trailer I forgot that it was James Gandolfini. I was just watching this. So. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited yeah. to see it.
0: But um but that's the thing. So he's somebody who you feel like, oh, he had a lot more work ahead of him. Elmore Leonard, probably not, uh but he had so he he wrote so much and I realized as I was making as I went through his uh his bibliography that I've read more books by Elmore Leonard than by any other author, Really? Uh, Rex Stout, the writer of the Nero Wolf books, uh, which I tore through in college. Uh, he's probably a close second, but I've read 14 Elmore
1: Leonard books. Wow. Um, I've probably read at least that many Stephen King books. Really? Yeah. I, I read Stephen King a lot up into college and I haven't read anything since I don't even know. See, like in *It* and *The Stand*, are
0: like the size of three Elmore Leonard books. So <laughs> yeah. there are some there are some people, and you know Stephen King is a writer that's fairly, and I don't mean this in a negative way, fairly easy to read, just as Elmore Leonard was. Yeah, you know they're playing very on conversational another, tone.
1: Uh, they're planning on doing another *Tommyknockers* miniseries. I guess the idea being that they didn't get it right the first time. I, I never saw it. I didn't either. But I think the problem might be that Tommyknockers is one of the stupider Stephen King books. And that's saying something. As much as I like him, he's written some dumb stuff. And uh Tom and Akers is is not good. I don't know why they would want it. Never, I never... Yeah, I never read it. I only read a, a handful of uh, Stephen King books, oddly
0: enough. And none of the big ones. No, I, I'm sorry. I read It. Yeah, It is amazing. But I never read The Stand.
1: Um, I, only, I never read the... The long, the stand. I read the because it was first published and it was a mere eight hundred something pages. Oh, all right. And then once he became more famous and had the leeway to do so, he was like, "I want to release because this is." I guess his editors made him cut it down. Huh. They're like we can't have this, you know, not going to sell a twelve hundred page horror novel. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, "Well, I'm Stephen King now." Yeah, So I can release it. So there's like the 1,200-page version, which yeah. I've never read. I only read the original release. Yeah. Well,
0: in the 800, all they really did was they just cut the last 400 pages <laughs> off and just said, it'll be fine. People <laughs> will figure it out. Um, uh,
1: I'm trying to think what are some other uh, – I know we're not talking about Stephen King, but we might as well while we're on the topic. Yeah. Um, well, the best Stephen King novel that is not a movie or anything is called Gerald's Game. Um, and that could be a movie. You've read it? Uh, no, uh, no. but I know but what it's know about. Do you know what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the only thing that would keep it from being, I guess they could change this part of it, but the main character is a naked woman for the entirety of the mm-hmm. story. That's like, that's part of the setup is that she's, uh, you know, alone and naked and can't uh, help herself remove or do anything. Yeah. They could uh, probably like just throw her, like put her in underwear or something like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. That, that that's going to be a tough sell to an actress. Like... Yeah, for as long as it takes us to shoot this, you're going to be naked and handcuffed to a bed.
0: Yeah, well, and that's the thing is like when you're when you're shooting, what is essentially like a kind of a pulpy thriller. Like if it were like a like a serious like a serious dramatic film for which she could potentially get some award recognition yeah. or something like that, it's like okay, yeah, I might be willing to do that. But just like yeah, it's this pulpy thing based on a Stephen King book. All right, stripped out. Like, it's, <laughs> somebody might not be so willing to do that.
1: Um, and then before we move on, I think most underrated movie based on a lesser-known Stephen King work is uh, Secret Window, starring Johnny Depp.
0: That's, yeah, I like that quite a That's a bit. really good movie that yeah. I think,
1: did, I, I don't know, it didn't, didn't connect with people for some reason, or at least not with critics. It didn't do very well critically. I liked it. I didn't love it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, think it, I think it gets that Stephen King tone right. Of It being sure does. Being like dark and and scary, but also just a little goofy,
0: well, and you know what I will use that to transition okay. us back into Elmore Leonard because he is somebody the the thing that i because we we decided uh about a week ago that we would we would be profiling him and uh and so i've been trying to think of like, okay well, what is there to say about him because you know he he primarily is a you know a novelist, and we're a movie show, so we're going to talk about the movies that are based on his, and television shows based on his work. So we'll be talking about that. But, you know, having read a number of his books, I feel like I can comment with a certain degree of confidence on like who he was and and that sort of thing. And he his books were so, so cinematic. I mean, it really did not, it really doesn't take much to make one of his books into a movie. Occasionally he'll have a subplot that's not really that important. You can cut that out. But as far
1: as dialogue, you got yeah, he it. he did fine. Write, uh, I'm sorry to keep comparing him to other authors, but actually I think that's probably helpful to, you know, I think there are certain pillars of like pop culture literature mm-hmm. in uh, American, in 20th century America. Stephen King is one of them and Elmore Leonard is one of them. And also increasingly George R R Martin is one of them. Okay. If yeah. You've, uh, uh, if you did what I did, which is you watched Game of Thrones and then started reading the books, I only read the first two books. It's amazing how much of the great dialogue you remember from Game of Thrones, the TV show, yeah. was lifted directly from the books. He, he wrote great dialogue, yeah. and then more Leonard has the same the same thing.
0: It almost feels like it was meant like his stories were meant to be movies more so than books. Except the books are incredibly fun to read in in themselves. Um, but the thing that the thing that fascinates me is. If his books are so inherently cinematic, why do so many people have a hard time translating them to film? Because and it's and it's Cause a lot tone. of these are bad. A lot of these are bad. And it's tone. Like you need to get exactly the right tone. And admittedly, it's hard to do. Because he writes characters that attend that are broad yet surprisingly specific mm-hmm. they can seem if you 're not careful they can seem really cartoonish mm-hmm. or if you if you if you don't if you go if you try to avoid the cartoon thing or the caricature thing if you try to avoid it too much, then everything is t- is deadly serious and it's not fun like he 's really hard to to capture and on film where it's like okay well we 're locked into an actor now we're locked into a general tone of the film. And of course, then you have like, I hope you, I hope you got the right composer. Cause that makes a big difference right. too. Well, you and know, uh, I want to start actually
1: okay. with, um, with talking about, uh, one of his works that was adapted most at the beginning of his career. Mm-hmm. And then again, most recently or rather recently, which is three, to Yuma. Yeah. And I think I remember an interview, uh, about the time that justified came out, um, where he was talking about how few, I think it was with the AV Club. He, he was talking about how few of the adaptations of his work he actually likes. Yeah, um, and he said he and he gave Justified as one of them. But he also said, and I think Out of Sight was was one of the ones he He really said. Likes. Get
0: Shorty was the first one he okay. thought got it totally
1: right. Um, uh, but he mentioned the the 2007, Three Ten to Yuma. The implication being that he likes it better than the original, hmm. um, which I. I can see based on what you're saying that definitely I, that I think the, 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 have you seen the original? No, I haven't. Okay. Um, do you own it? No. Okay. Uh, uh I, I should, uh, it's on Criterion now. Um, but the, 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 the remake or the, or the, I guess it's a, another interpretation, um, feels more and more Leonard than the original. Hmm. The, the, the original is a bit more serious and, and doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't have quite as much fun as as the newer one does at certain times but i think i prefer the original um because i saw the i saw the remake first Mm -hmm. and then when you see the original you see something that is very much a hallmark of elmer leonard how pared down it is yeah um and how james mangold's film uh I haven't read the books. I don't know if these scenes were invented. Uh, I mean, the book, it's just a a short story, is it? I believe so, yes. But I haven't read it. So it's probably, both of them probably invented stuff. But there are parts, there are whole, like, things that go on in James Mangold's movie that feel, once you've seen the original, like they were just added to pad out the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the really interesting thing about uh, the original film is that uh, for those who've seen James Mangold's film, you know that before they get on the 310 to Yuma, there's a uh, it's essentially a scene or two scenes in a hotel room, mm-hmm. um, in the in in Yuma while they're waiting for the the three hundred and ten. Uh, in the original movie, they get to the hotel room like halfway through the movie. It's a whole section of them in the hotel. It's really awesome stuff. Nice, and it's and it, and it is it's very it's much more straightforward and simple in that Elmore Leonard way. But it also is not as colorful as as the remake is. Yeah, I mean, the remake
0: certainly... Uh, you know what? I haven't seen the original. Maybe a lot of the characters are the same, but, I mean, more than anything, he just created good characters, and then he wrote them very well, and you got a strong sense of who they were. They could, in many ways, seem like archetypes, but they weren't. They, you know, And one, thing, one of the things that I like in the new 310 to Yuma is that you get a really strong sense of... You know, I mean... Like, uh, Kevin Durand is in the new one and he's not in it very long, but you get a strong sense of who he is. And same with Peter Fonda. Like now some of it's just that Peter Fonda has just a world of experience on his face and you just feel like you've spent more time with him than you actually do. But it's just, it's and then, and then to me, like Ben Foster is such a fascinating character as well. And just. The way these characters, each of them being very distinct, each of them having their own priorities, their own goals, their own experiences, and then throwing them in together. That more than anything because he created a great ensemble pieces and just having – just taking all these often dangerous elements and throwing them together and then seeing what happened. And yes, sometimes there was a convoluted plot. Not so with 310 to Yuma, but in a lot of these other like crime, you know, modern day crime novels, uh, people would like there'd be a heist or there'd be a con or something like that. And not unlike Dashiell Hammett or as, as Pat was talking about last week, like a Raymond Chandler. Yes, the story is important. But what's more important is how are the characters reacting? And that's something that I think he really focused on. And that's the thing is the characters are so fun and colorful that if you are not careful, it just, you, you lose all this, you lose all stakes because these stories are often very violent and, and characters will often die mm-hmm. in a violent way. And, and a lot of filmmakers tend to, they want to emphasize the silly aspect failing to, re- and, and, then it just feels like a roadrunner cartoon where the coyote still dies, but you're like, Mm -hmm. ah, what are you going to (laughs) do?
1: Um,
0: and so I do
1: want to, uh, well, do you think, uh, before we move on um, about, um, a, how much, how many of the adaptations are not good and how many, and B, how many he didn't like, um, do you think there's a, there's a certain type of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's postmodernism, but it's a, specific it's more specific than that it's a it's a it's a a glib or or humorous Mm postmodernism that that mainstream movies in particular had to wait to catch up with and that's why yeah that's why almost all of the almost all of the successful or well-known adaptations yeah start in the 90s even though he'd been writing for 50 years you almost feel as though it wouldn't be possible if not for
0: quentin tarantino not merely because he made Jackie Brown, but like Reservoir Dogs, and then Pulp Fiction made, suddenly made it okay. Where it's just like, oh, these characters. There was can also be Blood talking. Simple before
1: that, which I think is yeah, yeah. Uh, a big
0: um, yeah. The Coen Brothers. It'd be neat to see them do a yeah Elmore Leonard adaptation. I mean, and Blood Simple kind of could be. It's pretty yeah. Uh,
1: it, it's got that kind of story.
0: Yeah, and it needs more characters, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it might be a little too pared down. But yeah, it,
1: colorful characters
0: who are not so co- colorful that you feel like they don't exist in our world. Um, but yeah, you, I mean, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield talking about, you know, big Mac's a big Mac, but they call it Le big Mac right before just destroying an apartment full of people. Yeah. Um, you know, like I feel like that got people more comfortable with this, the idea of this and seeing that it is acceptable as opposed to, okay, well, let's have a movie about Hitmen that's very serious, or let's have this goofy thing over here. But although, for the most part, I feel like the goofy stuff uh, did not happen before the 90s.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: a lot of the misfires you'll have after Get Shorty and and that sort of thing. I'll get to that in a little
1: bit. Do while. you have anything in that big period between 310 to Yuma, the original, and Get Shorty that you really yeah. want to talk about?
0: Yeah. Um, so I read the book, Mr. Majestic. Um, and then I saw the movie and, uh, he wrote the book and he, uh, adapted it and it's the, the movie stars, um, Charles Bronson and what, you know, a lot of his stories fall into not necessarily a formula, but the main character is often something of a loner, somebody who often just wants to be left alone or if he's part of a larger organization of criminals, uh, he kind of sticks out, um, mm-hmm. and he doesn't really fit in with the rest. And so – and he's always remarkably capable. And so uh, – but people don't know that, and so they sort of uh, awaken a sleeping giant, so to speak. And that's what happens in Mr. Majestic. And and this was 1974, so we did not yet totally associate Charles Bronson with the guy that's going to kill you all. <laughs> um, right. And so uh, though he had been, you know, in Magnificent Seven and Dirty Dozen and that sort of thing. But this is this one like he's just plays this kind of this guy who, who wants to be a man of peace, but has a past. And then these criminals just mess with him, not knowing what they got themselves into. And and I read the book and it was it was a little more serious than others, but it was still there was still a sense of fun. And it just sort of the word that I come up with, it sounds almost cheesy to say that just like his books tend to just crackle. With excitement, mm-hmm. and that's what that book did. And then the movie is just winds up being kind of straightforward. And then for a long time, my favorite book of his was called it was Stick. And then that was made into a movie in 1985, directed and starring Burt Reynolds. Hmm. And uh, that one is uh, currently available on Netflix streaming. I started watching it. I'd seen it before, but I'd, I started watching it. Uh, again today to kind of refresh my memory and what I remember and and sure enough it's like yeah it just the character and, and he co uh he adapted it with someone else and then Burt Reynolds who to my knowledge is I, I don't think of him as a director and and it doesn't it doesn't necessarily seem like a vanity project but he does seem like okay I'm gonna really lock into this character who's really tough and really manly. I'm going to lock into that and focus on that. And it's like, yeah, but you're losing so much of the flair. So much of the... And it just... He directed it, more than just one thing, though, didn't oh, he? No, I'm sure he did. Yes, yes. I'm going to look that up. But... Uh, and it's just... That's the thing. Is like, so Mr. Majestic and Stick, um, they're fine movies. But when... But I've read the source material. And then when I see what other directors did with that same type of source material, you realize like there's, there is an almost intangible quality of like, how do you get this right? Because the lines are there, but, and, and it comes down to tone stick has plenty there that could be viewed. I mean, you have a, a villain who, uh, who believes in like voodoo and witchcraft and stuff. And often you incorporates that into his threats to his underlings one of whom is played by a long-haired, red-headed Charles Durning, named Chucky. <laughs> all right, it's like, like I said, it's all there. Uh-huh. Just re- and then and and uh, there's a hitman. There's an albino hitman. It's all there,
1: and yet, Burt Rounds just takes it so seriously. And just like... That's too bad. Because one of the other things he did direct, by the way, is a comedy, The End, which I've never seen, but uh, I know has a... I think has a good reputation. Okay. He also directed Gator and Sharky's Machine, and he's done a bunch of TV. Okay. So...
0: Yeah. And it's just... Uh, and, it, and it winds up just being a shame, especially because I really like the book Stick. I like Mr. Majestic as well, but, uh, but Stick was, up until some of his recent books, uh, that was my favorite of his. So, and then there's a lot of stuff in between. Um, uh, I read split images, I read glitz, but I didn't see the movies. Um.
1: I have at home The Moonshine War. I haven't read that. Okay. Uh, that, but I, have you seen that movie? mm No, me either. Um, well, okay, before we start getting into some of those Get Shorty and On, uh, specifics, or actually this will get us into Get Shorty, both the, the book and the, in the movie. Um. Something about his characters that you were talking about that I want to elaborate on is that um, they, are, uh, they are large and can be cartoonish, but um, there's also uh, a surprising and often unforeseen um, tendency for them to suddenly be very human and touching, mm-hmm. or for them to to be suddenly very, very violent. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes both in the same character and the one I'm thinking of particularly, and I forget the character's name, but Delroy Lindo played him in the movie. I don't if I remember the character's name, Bo Catlett. Um, he spoilers for book and movie, his death scene. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's a good scene in, in the, in the movie, in the book though, you know, cause he falls off his balcony. Yeah. He lives in the Hollywood Hills. He fought, he's, uh, it's not an accidental death. He is made to fall off his balcony. Um, and this is a guy who has been, again, larger than life, has also been very terrifying and violent. Yeah, but his, he is the primary villain. Yeah, his death scene in the book, which is him falling, and then you're in his point of view as his life is leaving him, yeah. and he's looking up at his balcony, is really gut-wrenching. Yeah. Uh, very disturbing. Especially uh, and, 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 and it's, I mean, one thing that O. Leonard is known for, I mean, he wrote a book about... Um, about like four writers, you know, mm-hmm. he had a lot of tips. One thing he was known for was economy. Yeah. You know, I mean that death scene, the, the, the part of the death scene that I'm talking about, uh, like that's inside his head is all of like two sentences. Yeah. Uh, and it's incredibly effective. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, he, that
0: Elmore Leonard does because though he writes characters that are often posturing and are, and often seem remarkably cool and all that they are, they still have the human emotions that we have. And in that mo in that moment, Bo seems more confused than anything else. Now, partially it's because he is dying and mm-hmm. about to die. And in that moment, you're probably not as clear-headed as you ever will be. But it's just like just trying to figure out what happened. How did he get here? And it's very sad and it's kind of sort of pathetic in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the thing is the character himself – you know, there's a there's a, a scene where uh, in the film and Delroy Lindo, by the way, I think does a great job. Yeah. Like casting makes such a difference. And there are a handful of actors that you're just like, well, there you, I mean, right there. That's that's as good as you get. And Delroy Lindo as that character, um, there's a he has a reading in that movie. We're talking about Get Shorty now, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, he has a reading that I have tr- that I laugh hysterically at. But I can't translate. I'm gonna say it now. No, you're not gonna find it funny. Okay,
1: I'll
0: find in it which, funny if I remember it. Yeah, in which uh, he is being threatened by uh, some uh, by Miguel Sandoval, uh, who's like a drug his drug Sorry. connection in uh, yeah. Mexico, I believe, and uh, and this guy and Bo has killed Miguel Sandoval's nephew, uh-huh. and so Miguel Sandoval, who's good in his own right, um, he's just talking about. He's like. You know, he's like, I've just, he goes, I don't like my nephew personally. I think he's a retard, which is a fun little mm-hmm. thing. He's like, he goes, but you know, my, he's like, but my sister, she's calling me all the time. She's worried. And then, and that's the thing is like, you know that Bo is panicking because he's like, I've killed the guy that this guy is talking about and yeah. wants to find. But he's just sitting there, totally casual. He's like, Sure, family, I know how that goes.
1: But he just says it so,
0: it's just amazing. But that's neither here nor there. Um but there's also a scene where I mean he basically is a criminal. He runs a limousine company, but he wants to get into movies. And he's trying to force his way in, which is kind of the only thing he the only way he knows how. Uh-huh. But you definitely see that he wants what everybody – what everyone out here wants, which is to be in movies, what's the point of being well, I mean, in L.A. That's... if you're not in the movie business? He says it. Okay. And just like – That's not true, though, by the way. That's a pet peeve of mine, but – Right, but just, you know, it's, it's a very common goal yeah, out yeah. here. And so then you see a moment where he's talking with Chili Palmer, played by, played by um, uh, John Travolta. Um, they're talking about the script, and they are, for all intents and purposes, even at that moment, enemies. Uh-huh. But the minute they start talking about the, the script – they're, they they kind of come together a little bit and you actually see Delroy Lindo, you see him drop the posturing and he gets excited about it and then you have, and then Chili reasserts that like no, we're still enemies and he says like, you know, what the fuck do I need you for? And then you see a, almost a look of sadness and betrayal on Bo's face when he realizes like, oh yeah this is, we're not producers yet mm-hmm. we're not writers yet we are still on the outside and we still have to be these criminal types and that's the thing is like great and that scene is crackling with the dialogue is crackling as well and it's fun to listen to but but there and there's a constant threat of violence and just people t- these guys constantly sizing each other up but underneath there's a there's a genuine humanity. And that's and the the good ones understand that humanity, while never losing sight of what makes these fun, and there's really only been a handful. Uh, you know, um, well, do you want to say? Do you have anything to say about "Be Cool"? Books great, is it? I didn't see the movie. It's I heard not, it was not, awful. Not good. I, I mean, heard the I, I heard the Rock was good.
1: Uh, yeah, um, eh, eh, that's true. But I think I mean one of the biggest things that is illustrated by the difference between um the movie studios were making in 95 and 2005 is that Be Cool is rated PG-13 mm. which is uh just ridiculous given what Get Shorty is yeah. you know in terms of in terms of language and violence uh uh it's uh, I knew going in that this is not not Get Shorty and it really wasn't. So uh that's all I have to say about Be Cool. Uh should we talk about Dennis Freena at all? Well, the and that's the thing. Okay, so Get
0: Shorty is about as close to cartoonish as you can get without it becoming cartoonish. You know, it doesn't take place in the gritty reality of Jackie Brown or Out of Sight. Yeah. But it certainly is not freaky deeky, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, but it, I mean, but I mean, the characters like. You know, they they dress a certain way. Everything is lit a certain way. Um, everything seems kind of clean and I don't say this is, this could be a negative, but again, tonally it gets it right. And the character that runs the greatest risk of being just a total joke Mm -hmm. is Dennis Farina's character, Ray Bones, Ray Barboni. Mm -hmm. And basically, I mean, I mean, I, I talked earlier about Roadrunner and Coyote, Chili Palmer's the Roadrunner and Ray Bones is the Coyote. And he's constantly, he's getting punched in the nose, he gets shot in the head, pardon me, it grazes him,
1: um, <laughs> right. and just... We should mention, by the way, before I forget, in terms of the movie's look, uh, that it was directed by the guy who, the cinematographer who shot the aforementioned Blood Simple. Yeah, Barry, Barry Sonnenfeld. Sonnenfeld, yeah. And it's, a guy who say, a, the best film that Barry Sonnenfeld has directed. Yeah, no question. I and like *Adam's like, Family*. Uh, right, and the first *Men in Black* I remember being fun. I do really like *Men in Black*. I I, I, I like seen *Get it in Shorty* so more that I can't really say.
0: I like *Get Shorty* more, but *Men in Black* is, is a solid film.
1: He also made *Wild Wild West*, which was terrible.
0: You know, none of us we're well, none of us perfect. Yeah, you can't win them all. Um, and so like, uh, and and that's the thing is every time you see Ray Bones, you know he's wearing, he shows up wearing like a pink blazer and these (laughs) gray and and also just like when you show up and almost anytime he shows up he's just perpetually shaking his head yeah in
1: kind of a paul uh polly walnuts type of way and And his look by the way is kind of like the almost like laughably stereotypical miami yeah to the stereotypical los angeles that yeah that we get uh, his, his the way that Ray Bones dresses reminds me of when they go to Florida in Donnie Brasco yeah. except it's like 20 years later or yeah, 15 yeah. years later and he's still dressing like that
0: yeah and just and also little things like and he identifies as being from Miami he goes it's like who the hell are you Ray Barboni from Miami <laughs> with the 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 thickest Chicago accent you'll ever find <laughs> but um but that's the thing is, I remember, I think, uh, I think Roger Ebert in his review said every time D- Dennis Farina shows up, his broken nose looks more painful. <laughs> it looks like it's not yeah. healing correctly. Yeah. And it does get bigger and thicker and redder. And it just looks ridiculous. And so in many ways, this character can't be seen as a threat. But he is. There's a scene where he kills a guy. But throughout, he's hilarious. Yeah. How can a guy this
1: funny... Be seen as a genuine threat. Well, I think it has a lot to do with him being, um, uh, essentially, stupid.
0: That's. It. I remember years ago, and we'll be referencing out of sight in a moment. Years ago, you commented that Don Cheadle in Out of Sight is to you one of the most frightening villains because he's dumb, right? Or just maybe not dumb, but
1: not he's not a criminal genius. Yeah, and he's not like even if you have the upper hand in terms of reason, even if you're right about something. Yeah. He could still kill you because he's too stupid, to, too stupid to see that. Yeah. That it might be better for him not to. Yeah. Uh, like he almost, yeah, and it is scary.
0: Yeah. Before somebody corrects him, he's about to shoot a bullet into a safe. It will, in such a way that it will definitely ricochet off and kill him or at least hit him. Right. You know, and then someone else says like, Oh, Hey, uh, I, maybe it was, maybe it's the henchman. I don't totally recall, but, uh, white boy, wait, wait, Bob, no, I think it might be, uh, what's was his name, Isaiah Washington?
1: Oh, right, yeah, yeah. But
0: yeah, and so... Um, I want to see that new movie he's in, Blue Caprice. It's not getting
1: great reviews. Yeah? Uh, it's getting good reviews, but not great. Very fascinated by the story. It's based on the actual DC snipers. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, I didn't so know that. I'm interested in that.
0: Um, man, there's so, mo- so many movies to keep track of. Yeah. Um, I still don't, I have no idea what short-term 12 is about, but apparently I need to see it. Um, it's an annoying title. It is off-putting, but, uh, I'm glad you agree. So, but that's, and so that's the thing is by creating characters who can seem, who are powerful and they have just enough intelligence to come up with plans and maybe have a general idea of how to, you know, how to, uh, uh, implement them, but they're not smart enough to like see all the angles. And so that, the reason that I say that Bo Catlett is the main villain, even though he probably has about as much screen time as Ray Bones, is that when Ray Bones gets dispatched, uh-huh. no problem. Right. Like there had to be like an intricate – there had to be a somewhat intricate um, betrayal for Bo Catlett to die. Ray Bones, it's just like, here's a key. Enjoy. (laughs) It just, he just, he willingly just walks right into it. Right. But that's the thing is he can jump to violence like that, you know? And you get the impression, you sort of get the impression that, because not only does he beat the hell out of a guy and then shoot somebody, a different Mm -hmm. person, not only does he do that, uh, you know, because that he views this other guy as a threat. You kind of get the impression that he might do it because he's in a bad mood from his flight. Mm-hmm. You know, he just flew across the country and he doesn't like being in Los Angeles. Yeah. And you get the impression he's just as likely to kill somebody because he's in a bad mood as he genuinely feels like he needs to.
1: That's I think did we talk about how that between get shorty and snatch. That's like a thing with his characters is to be like, he just doesn't to, like going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah,
0: and just – and that's the thing is, you know um, – and and it's very odd because the scene in Get Shorty that we're talking about, which features a really – a fun – I wouldn't say monologue, but it's basically when, when Ray Bones is beating the hell out of Harry Zim, played wonderfully by Gene Hackman. Yeah. Um, that scene is not in the book. Oh, okay. But that's the thing is like when you get the right writer, who in this case I think is Scott Frank – Um, when you get the right writer, the right director, the right actor, it just, you can, you can add scenes and it seems like it makes perfect sense. That scene seems like it would be in the book. It seems like a creation of Elmore Leonard and it isn't Ray bones is. And if you get him right, you can do, you can do almost anything. That's right. Scott Frank. Yeah. And you'll, and you'll probably get it right. Um, because you, you've locked into who this character is. And so, uh, so I know we should probably start, we should probably move yeah, on. Yeah, I want
1: to move on. No, I don't, uh, you keep mentioning the book. I don't remember if Bo Catlett is black in the book. I believe he is. Okay. Um, Jackie Brown is not black in rumble. No, Orange. and
0: her name is Jackie Burke.
1: Oh, I didn't, I didn't, I've read the book and I didn't remember that. Yeah. Um, and Quentin Tarantino has famously said that he read the whole book and must have missed the part where she's white because he imagined Jackie Brown as a black woman from, from page one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh I, I, I think that's, uh, uh, I'm trying to think how I'm, how I'm trying to say this. this is my, my allergies getting inside in my head. Um, I don't know what I want to say. Are we, are we
0: switching to, uh, Jackie, Jack, Brown, Jackie now? Brown? Yeah. Well, the race is something that is very prevalent in Elmore Leonard's work and it's something that I've thought about. Um it might maybe we shouldn't be covering that screen, just in case. I can see it. Okay. All right. Sorry, you never know when Garage Band's gonna you know. I can see through the enough to see if it's gonna start. Okay, fair enough. All right. Um Let's
1: uh edit all this out.
0: Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um yeah, race is something that it used to kind of get to me a little bit reading his books, especially when I, when I saw the movies. Um, the fact, because in the book, Jackie is white, or still black, uh-huh. or is the villain. In Out of Sight, Jack Foley is white, yes, and um, Snoop mm-hmm. is black. However, in the book, Buddy, Jack Foley's friend, is white. And huh. then they made him black in the movie. Like there are a lot of books that I've read in which the villain is black and the hero is white
1: huh that's, now it's interesting
0: it is it's a little strange, and that's the thing is there are still and that it's something that as the as he wrote more that started to change uh there's am- a book called uh uh I don't know if this is how you pronounce it, Tishomingo Blues, mm-hmm. which is a great book, one of my favorites of his, uh, and that and that changes things up a little bit. Um, and then in uh, like what is it, like in Maximum Bob and uh, Pronto, and uh, then like like Southern redneck racists start to become villains. So I was like, okay, well that's something. Um, specifically, it's like. You'll start to see some characters show up uh, over and over again, and there's basically just a whole family of redneck racists, and they're all just awful. They're like the O'Doyle's of uh, of the Elmore Leonard universe. But and that's
1: not, Bob. Was you have it on here because it was a TV series, yes, Right? Did Bo, you ever
0: watch it? Uh, I watched the first episode with Bo Bridges. Okay. Um, and I read the book, and it was interesting. I'll get to, I'll get to that in a second. Okay. But um. But yeah, and so it's something that just kind of struck me. There, there were positive black characters in his books, and there are negative white characters in his books. But for, for a while, that tended and, – and there are some in which good guy was white, bad guy was white, you know, right. just whatever. Um, but it was just – it was something that I took note of and just thought that's a little strange. And I wonder – I don't think – I certainly don't think that he thought that, oh, black people are bad or or oh if somebody's going to be a criminal they're probably going to be black. I just I don't know where it came from. And I don't remember I don't recall if anybody I I remember it, it bothered me a few years ago and I think I looked up to look it up looked it up online to see if anybody had ever like in, asked him about that. Yeah. And at the time I hadn't found anything. Um I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised if since then, that was probably 10 years ago, uh if since then maybe somebody asked him about it. But uh but it's something that kind of got to me and I wonder if maybe it just He tended to set his books in three places, Los Angeles, Detroit, and Miami. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Detroit especially, uh, is where you would find like black villains and that sort of thing. And so I wonder if he just sort of in the, in the, you know, when you take into, and a lot of his characters have also been to prison. And when you take into account that a lot of the prisoners, a lot of guys in prison are black and you can say that's due to perhaps an institutional racism or just general class issues, whatever your yeah, reason. I think it's all that. Probably all of the above, um, but uh, you know, maybe he just felt like, okay, well, these characters are in prison, so why not? Why would I not have this? Like, it, it's entirely possible it didn't even occur to him. But if that's the case, then why is the you know why not make the the hero black as well?
1: Um, but so, I don't know. It's, so- to get back to Jackie Brown, then yeah. you uh I take it that you like me approve of Pam Greer as very, Jackie Brown.
0: Very much so. And it and I think it adds tremendous because uh, in Rum Punch, that is really quite a that's an ensemble. Like there is no real lead. Oh okay. Um and Jackie is just one more part uh in the in the story. Um but by making it Jackie Brown. Well, first off, like by making her black, making her middle age, by changing her name and by naming the movie after her, mm-hmm. you really start to realize, Oh, this character has tremendous potential. I feel like as much as I like the book rum punch, I don't necessarily love it. And I think Tarantino made, I think he made good changes. Um, I think he saw potential in a character that otherwise was good, not great. um, and it just adds, you know, it adds an element to the character where she's been in trouble with the law and she's working in a, ba- in a, you know, I believe Michael Bowen says the just the shittiest little piece of shit airline, you know, it just <laughs> she has a, t- a bad job. And if she gets busted again, like she's in bad shape. And the fact that it's a middle aged woman dealing with this is one issue, but somehow you make her black and it seem it adds a bit, a bit of desperation to the character, I think. I don't know. Do you think I'm off base in saying that it, um, uh,
1: I, 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 don't, I don't, I think that's interesting. I hadn't considered that. Before. Like feeling
0: that the legal system is not going to do her any favors as opposed to if it were a middle-aged white woman.
1: Um, I think, yeah, I think that's a very good point of view. I, I think, uh, I'll agree with all that and say it also changes, um, uh, Robert Forster's character. Yeah. Um, in that he's, a he's a guy of a certain age who because of things like institutionalized racism has probably, uh, and because of his job as a bail ma- bail bondsman, um, has probably dealt with a lot of, uh, a lot of black criminals yeah. and, um, Jackie Brown at first would seem to be another one of those. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I think it says a lot. I don't necessarily think that, I mean, in some ways, obviously she changes him. And I think Quentin Tarantino using, um, the, uh, Delphonics, yeah. you know, and and using I guess, stereotypically uh, black music from, you know, uh, uh, a different time period is yeah. meant to illustrate that that Robert Forster has changed both as a person, you know, uh, in terms of just personal ways that Jackie Brown has, the Jackie has changed him, but also in terms of relation to race. Yeah, um, And maybe it's almost, you can almost see it in a meta way as a comment on uh, Elmore Leonard and his lack of um, black heroes because uh, Robert Forster's character. I don't think there's any point at which he was a racist. You know, uh, I, I, Elmore I,
0: Leonard or Max Cherry.
1: Max Cherry. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't think he's ever a racist, but I think um, he's just thinking about things more because he's got he's essentially having a relationship with a black woman. Yeah, uh, and
0: I think he's. I think it's noted. It's notable that he's the oldest character in the film, and he is. He winds up reassessing his whole life kind of as a function of Jackie just feeling like mm-hmm. he's been in the bail bonds it, game for a long time and he just doesn't really want to be a part of it anymore. And just and just almost thinking like, what, you know, what am I holding on to? Whether it be his job or maybe certain ideas that he has about race and just like being like, I'm too old to care about this th- kind of thing anymore. I find this woman attractive. I, I'm going to do something about it. Man, um, that's a good character. I freaking love Robert Forster in that movie, it's a and, great the, and movie. the character in general. Uh,
1: for the longest time, up until *Inglorious Bastards*, it was my favorite Tarantino film. Um,
0: it might still be mine. I don't know. *Inglorious Bastards*, ah, *Pulp
1: Fiction*. They're all they're all pretty good. Well, not all of them. Uh, speaking of Robert Forster and Jackie Brown, Michael Keaton's character yep. from *Jackie Brown* is in *Out of Sight*. Yep, <laughs> where uh, he's dating Karen Sisko. Yep. Whose father is played by Dennis Farina? Yeah, and yet in the TV show Karen Cisco*, it was Robert Forster. Yeah, it all comes around.
0: <laughs> yeah, *Out of Sight* was produced by Danny DeVito, who was in *Get Shorty*. Right,
1: right. Yeah. It all it all comes together. Now, *Out of Sight*, I honestly haven't seen in forever. But, I watch uh, it every couple of years. It was the first Elmore Leonard book I ever read.
0: Oh, all right. Um, and you know, it's uh, well, I don't want to move on to *Out of Sight* yet because there is a movie called *Touch* that uh, okay. Uh, directed written and directed by Paul Schrader based Mm on on a book of uh, Elmore Leonards that I have that I have read.
1: Uh, is Skeet Ulrich in this Yes.
0: And uh it is you know Skeet
1: Ulrich played a character known as Thug in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from nineteen ninety and head thug by Sam
0: Rockwell. I know that. Okay. Regular or menthol? We're we're
1: a family. It's been a really long time those are some of his lines. But I really want to watch that movie again, because uh, it is. It I was, think it probably it holds up. It, to it a was certain an independently extent. made film. Yeah. And I remember thinking, at the t- even at the time as a kid, thinking it was weird that this movie, that is based on, as far as I knew, based on a cartoon that's for kids, has the turtles saying "damn" and yeah. and stuff. And it it felt it felt weird when I was a kid. Yeah. I would really love to revisit it now because my my former co-host Sean uh, from previously on recently rewatched it and basically confirmed my suspicions that it is weird. <laughs> yeah, it is weird and it's
0: that's the thing is uh I read some of the comic books when I was uh younger and they are darker and uh the turtles do say damn um in it, there's something I noticed and mm-hmm. that's when I first hey, going back to what we were talking about before, in this one I think, talking about pronunciation. That uh, was in this episode, right? Yeah, right. Okay, I think so. Um God Anyway, uh that's when I realized that uh, Damn has an n in it and
1: for for some reason. Huh. You know what I remember from the first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie that, What's A- that? April O'Neill, who by the way is now on ABC's Nashville. Really? Uh I did not recognize her until I looked up. Um anyway, uh April O'Neil is uh, she has does she have the kid or does she have one of the turtles hiding in her bathtub and her boss comes over? Yeah. And he does she won't like let him into the bathroom yeah and she says i don't want you to see my unsightly bathtub unsightly bathtub ring." when i was a kid i thought that unsightly meant invisible and (laughs) like i would just puzzle over that line like she has an invisible bathtub ring but then he couldn't see it like what does that mean (laughs) what it's just like if i were her boss i'd be
0: suspicious (laughs) yeah it's just like you don't want me to see something that i can't see anyway are you hiding a mutant turtle in here (laughs) Um, <laughs> but uh, what the hell are we talking about touch touch. <laughs> yeah, Skeetle-Rich. Skeetle-Rich. <laughs> that's
1: how we got there
0: um, yeah so uh, the book is a little it's a little different for Elmore Leonard there's some satire in there oh. there's some it's about religion in which uh, there's a character uh, who suffers from stigmata oh, wow. and might be and is able to heal people so like there's a and to my knowledge that That element, the, uh, you know, metaphysical element, um, supernatural element is not in any of his other books. And so, so it's worth, that's worth noting that, but he, he uses that, but he still writes like Elmore Leonard. He still creates Elmore Leonard type characters within the world of religion. And so you still get like, you know, hucksters and con men and, and, uh, very dangerous people. And, uh, and the movie works okay. Uh, it, it has actually a pretty good score done by Dave Grohl um, that I was close to playing a track from uh, with West a few a oh. few weeks ago. Um, it has a really interesting cast featuring um, uh, – Skeet Ulrich. Skeet Ulrich, Christopher Walken, um, Bridget Fonda, and in maybe one of the best performances I've ever seen of his – uh, Tom Arnold, huh? Uh, who plays basically a character who's sort of fundamentalist and kind. And Tom Arnold has a quality to him that can be genuinely un- unnerving. You know what I mean? Like, not only is he kind of a bigger guy, but also he can have kind of the crazy eyes. Like, what was the prison movie? He was Animal Factor. Animal Factor. Yeah. yeah, that you and I watched, and he's freaking insane. Yeah. Um. And yeah, he I, has I really that quality. Like Tom
1: Arnold. When I like interviews yeah. with him, did you ever hear him on
0: Never Not Funny? No. he's very likable, though. He is. And uh, and he was great uh, uh, last year or two years ago. I don't remember on uh, the Rose, the roast of Roseanne. Did you ever see that? No. He was a surprise guest. Roseanne did not know he was going to be there and they had not seen each other or talked to each other in 18 years. Wow. Yeah, it's great. It's worth seeking out. But anyway, um, but the movie's okay. It's. uh, There are times when it's really when it really overplays things and then there's other t- like it overplays things when it shouldn't but it underplays things when it shouldn't and so that winds up it winds up kind of equal equaling out and winds up being kind of this quirky little movie that doesn't really do the book justice but i could definitely and also paul schrader is not necessarily known for his comedy right um and uh that's the thing clearly he Although- was more interested in the exploration of religion aspect. And, and takes you, it maybe a little too serious.
1: I feel like I talked to this on the show before, but his commentary track on the uh Last Temptation uh Criterion huh is it's like I wouldn't call it funny, but he's like he's glib and okay. dry and it's it's a uh, again, I wouldn't call it funny, but it's a it's a surprisingly entertaining commentary all right i've never i've hours. never
0: listened to it i think i
1: i think i might he's somebody who who fascinates me we should do a profile on him sometime but um <laughs> he, he uh refers i want to say more than once but at least once to christianity as a blood cult which is like <laughs> i guess technically true but it's he's clearly just trying to be a little glue about it <laughs> mission accomplished
0: <laughs> um yeah i don't know why but for some reason and yeah maybe he doesn't think of it that way but like I don't know. I, I instinctively feel like if you're going to have somebody write something about something uh-huh. that not that that person should be on board with it, but they shouldn't be actively against it. <laughs> and I don't think he is against it. I think. And, and, that's, and that's if he
1: is, it doesn't come across in the movie. last No, it sure doesn't. Yeah. It sure
0: doesn't. But, um, but yeah, and that's the, uh, and that, and clearly with touch, that's what drew him to it is he wanted to explore like the, the hucksterism. He wants to explore the, the, especially in the midst of genuine miracles happening. Like in the, in the movie it's saying this is not fake. It's really happening. And yet there's still frauds coming out to uh, exploit it. Uh So it's an okay movie. There are I would say it's worth watching because there's a good score. The acting's good. Pretty, pretty much all around. And Tom Arnold is just a disturbing joy to watch. So, okay, we, we can move on. Uh, to Out of Sight. Um, to Out of I mean, Sight, 1998.
1: Um, what do we want to say about it? I mean, I, I remember my theater-going experience. Um, okay. I'm not sure how I got in because I wasn't 17. Yeah. But I did get it. Is, it is rated R, right? It sure is. Yeah. Um, I remember getting there kind of late and having to sit, like, sit, crane my neck to watch the movie. I remember that when, again, spoilers, when White Boy Bob dies, I was the only person in the theater who laughed, which means I'm the only person in the theater who was correct because it's supposed to be funny. And I think I, I've, said a bit, I've said
0: before, I think in retrospect, all those people would think that that is funny. And maybe in the moment they thought it was funny, but it came, it, it came as such a shock yeah. that maybe by the time they, thought it, they found it funny, the moment had passed yeah. and, the, and the movie had, had moved on.
1: Well, I've... am uh, sure you don't see it coming. Three funny... Mo- the movies with the three funniest people getting shot in the head scenes. Okay. Out of Sight. Yeah. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Damn right. Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead is pretty good. Pulp Fiction. See, that's actually my least favorite part of the movie. Because I feel like it's way telegraphed uh, that it's about to happen.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Because he's holding his gun. The- it's like, you're a professional hitman. Come on, man. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. And, Although I and do- it's
1: also way, way too bloody. <laughs> like, for what... Like. For what kind of gun and the di- like? It doesn't make any sense that Marvin's head essentially explodes.
0: It doesn't explode; just a uh, blood bursts out the back of it. <laughs> uh-huh. And that's the thing is, you know, the thing that gets <laughs> oddly enough, the reason I, f- the thing I laugh at, because first there's the shock of, oh my gosh, even even though in retrospect you do see it coming. Um, there's the initial shock, but then it's Samuel Jackson s- yelling, uh-huh. but then it's also John Travolta immediately turning into an eight year old and be like, Oh my God, I just shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> like just feeling like, Oh no, what, what now? You know? And just, uh, that's why I find it funny. But yeah, that land of the dead is pretty funny. Although is it a, is it a shot to the head? Oh yeah. Yes. You're yeah, right. You're right.
1: Yes. Head. Uh, <laughs> all right. Um, okay. Moving on. But, uh, uh yeah, back to out of sight. Yeah,
0: I watch out of sight probably every couple of years. It is one of, uh, my
1: favorite movies. It is one of Jen's favorite movies. Oh, I was going to say the other thing, I remember from my, the screening experience okay. was Steven Soderbergh employs a little technique where occasionally the image will freeze while the yes. sound goes on. And I remember someone in my row saying, why does it keep stopping? Huh. <laughs> I think they thought there was a problem with the projection or something.
0: Incidentally, film was nominated for best editing um, <laughs> along with screenplay. But uh, yeah, that's uh, out of sight, I think might be the one that does it best. I love Jackie Brown and I love get shorty and I like the new 310 to Yuma, but I think out of sight is about as close as you can get where you have a cast of really colorful characters. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, first off, you've got a really great lead two really great dynamic leads with a lot of chemistry between them, which I'll talk about in a moment. But then you've got Ving Rhames who always adds, Mm -hmm. you know, charisma to whatever he's doing. Um, then on the other side, the villains, you have Don Cheadle playing a character that you have a re- you have a really strong sense of who he is, mm-hmm. and what he is. He's very dangerous. Isaiah Washington plays a guy named Kenneth, who's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. White Boy Bob is ridiculous. But yeah. then you get Steve, Steve Zahn yeah. as Glenn, who's just a who's great. And almost all of his books have a character like that. Uh in Stick, it's kind of the Charles Derning character who's a little dangerous
1: himself, but what's, is also like line? She's like, Are you stealing this car? He's like, No, I already stole it last week in Florida. Remember, <laughs> 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 yeah,
0: it's just, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he's, I think that might have been the well, I remember liking him in that thing you do, but out of sight was always like, This guy is someone to keep in mind, like, this guy is someone to uh, pay, continue paying attention to, but um, but yeah, and then you have you know, Albert Brooks.
1: You know, as
0: uh, Ripley, and and that's the thing is like he's a character who has, who's bald and wears these wigs. He keeps his wigs in a safe. You have, you know, it's just these characters could be caricatures, but they're all so specific. It feels like it can take like these people exist, like they can exist. Um, And what I like, one of the things that I really like is that in the Jack Foley character, you get George Clooney who's very who can be very suave but he also is not he's not incredibly bright himself he's maybe the smartest one but that's yeah. not necessarily that doesn't mean he's smart you know and there's little things like and he also is unlike chili palmer who really doesn't show a lot of emotion um you know you get like explosions of emotion you get frustration of like wanting to do the right thing and not being able to um and then you get what i think is a wonderful the scene with karen and jack in the trunk is just great but you also get him misquoting network and just the way he says it was like he goes he goes, Oh, Peter Finch. Oh yeah. I love that. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take any more of your shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he just says it like a 15 year old who just
0: saw network, but didn't, doesn't totally remember of it. Remember all of it. Cause he's combining two different monologues, uh-huh. but, um, but that's, and so like that character is, I think what the most, uh, maybe the most, uh, down to earth and just all the, you know, Elmore Leonard writes for criminals and I'm sure in life there are a lot of brilliant criminals, but I think most criminals probably are kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. One could make the argument that they wouldn't have turned to – and I know that, yes, yes, there's economic things as well. But, uh, but, like, seeing crime, something that could literally get you killed or put in jail as a viable life choice – and, yes, I've seen The Wire – But like, you know, as a viable life choice and just be like, all right, well, this is what I got to do. And just and thinking like, you know, good luck and uh, and, uh, you know, strength of will is enough to get you what you need. Um, Like that's there are probably a lot of dumb criminals out there. I've seen that special America's dumbest criminals um, with that guy with the giant teeth and the really smug voice. Oh,
1: that guy. You
0: know the guy I'm talking about? I hate his voice. It's awful. It sound, He's the most judgmental guy. And yes, these criminals are dumb, but you know what? Let it speak for itself. Yeah. I can't even replicate his voice. It just sounds so awful. It sounds like he's, like, yelling the whole time, but he's not. Anyway. Um, but, yeah, and so, like, I just feel like the – just – Out of sight feels so lived in, in every way, in a way that frankly, I feel like get shorty doesn't get Shorty's a little cleaner, a little more, I don't know. It feels a little like a, like a Chuck Jones, uh, production again, I love get shorty. Um, but out of sight really, it does feel like it exists in the same world as Jackie Brown. And you've got the, the Michael uh, Keaton character to link the two. Um, and just, uh, And then you also have what doesn't actually show up in a lot. I mean, you, you often get uh, romance in in an Elmore Leonard book uh, or movie. But I don't think any of them have worked quite as well as Karen and Jack in Out of Sight. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's – I wish I could talk about what on – like. I wish I could define on-screen chemistry and say, well, it's a, form, it's a formula. It's this, this, this equals on-screen chemistry, but I can't. Sometimes right. it's, it's the lines. It's the director. It's the choice of music. It's the, it's the lighting. But it's also just the actors getting it 100%. And they get it. And it is just such a pleasure to watch. And I'm trying to think – and I, I read the book, and I like the book quite a bit. I'm trying to think if I like the movie – you know,
1: it's – what's the point of saying of saying I like the movie more or I, right. I like the movie less or whatever? But, uh,
0: okay, we can move on.
1: Uh, well, did you want to talk any more about the new 310 to Yuma or did we, we already – Oh, about I've, the...
0: well, I've seen more things. Uh, okay. Okay. So um, I did see the first episode of Maximum Bob and that makes the mistake of making everything way too cartoony. Okay. Um, Bo Bridges does a good job but it's just – and uh, and I'll talk more about this in a moment. Okay. And then I saw The Big Bounce in 2004. Which
1: had also previously been made in 1969.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had not seen that one, but I did see the new one. And it takes place... It's kind of a... There's a, there's a lot... It's got a lot going for it. It's got a neat cast of characters. Um, it's, it takes place in Hawaii. And I think, as we learned from The Descendants, there's something neat about placing a certain type of story in a tropical location.
1: Sure, yeah.
0: Um, it has Owen Wilson as its lead... Which Owen Wilson, as an Elmore Leonard lead, is kind of brilliant, huh. um, especially as kind of a beach bum in Hawaii. Like, it really makes a lot of sense. And it is just totally squandered because, while I am the first to say that the plot doesn't matter that much in the long run, the director, at least, has to have a sense of what's going on. And it just... he I want just, to
1: say that was directed by George Armitage, right? I
0: do not remember at all.
1: Um... Uh, gross Point Blank, which I love. Hmm. But uh, I will find out if I'm right in one second.
0: Yeah. And just... I am that's
1: right. Okay. You, what was that? I, I, I was right. It's okay. George Armonich.
0: Yeah. It jumps around. It doesn't seem to know what to do with the characters. Also
1: rated PG-13. Uh,
0: maybe that's it, too. There's really only one scene, and it's a very Elmore Leonard-type scene. I don't know if it's in the book. I never read The Big Bounce, um, and I didn't see the original. But Vinny Jones is going to, like... He's going to, like, physically attack Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson is holding a baseball bat. And he's like, he goes, hey, stay back. Like, I'll hit you. And then Vinnie Jones comes for him again. He's like, hey, listen to me. I'm going to hit you with this baseball bat if you come at me. <laughs> And then Vinnie Jones comes up and he's like, "Ah!" Oh, and punt and hits him with a baseball bat. <laughs> and it's like that couldn't be more. I mean, can't you see that exact thing happening between <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Chili and Bear? Yeah. In uh, Get Shorty. And that in that moment, because and it happens early enough. I'm like, OK, this movie kind of gets it. And then it just all falls apart. Like the guy you need to sort of be able to juggle all the elements. And that movie certainly does not. Karen Sisko, the, the show, which you and I watched yeah. some of and.
1: You know, uh, obviously there are your fireflies and your freaks and geeks and all those, but uh, the the canceled too soon, the canceled in the first season, one that doesn't get mentioned enough is Karen Sisko because it was yeah. a super cool show. Yeah. Um, also brought to you by Ford. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that. I do not recall that. There's The Ford product placement was a little heavy in all that right. show to the point where the opening title sequence, the you know, uh, the last shot was her leaning on her car which is a Ford mm-hmm. and then it goes into like monochrome where she's a silhouette and then like the car's a silhouette and the back is background is like pink or purple or something like that. And then it's like, you know, it had that sort of seventies vibe to it. But when it did that, they, the Ford logo was still visible on the front of the car. <laughs> like, the rest of the car is turned into a black silhouette, but you can still see that there's a Ford oh, logo wow. on the All front right. of it. <laughs> yeah. I guess I do not recall that,
0: but uh, and apparently it's the only thing I should have recalled. Um, yeah, Karen Sisko is just a really great show. Do you know if that's available on on DVD? I assume uh, it probably is, right? I don't
1: know if it is actually.
0: It should be like. Yeah, I mean, if it's really. It was a, it was a really great great show, and that's the thing is his he did Elmore Leonard did create characters that could go on. That's one of the things that I really liked about his. Books is that you really got a sense that these characters existed before you started reading. They will continue after you're done. Assuming they didn't die. Assuming they didn't die, which a good number of them do. <laughs> but – um and so that's – and so it's entirely possible to make a series out of Maximum Bob and make it work. It's entirely possible to take Karen Sisko and her father and turn that into a, a long-running series. They did it successfully – but from an artistic standpoint, um, yeah. And then we'll we'll get to Raylan Givens in a minute. But uh, but yeah, Karen Cisco. If it's available, uh, seek it out. I'm sure there's maybe there's a somewhere to find it online. I don't know. But uh,
1: it does not exist according to Amazon.
0: Oh man, that sucks. Maybe it's streamed somewhere.
1: I'm gonna look that up now. Okay,
0: please do. Uh, Three ten to you. I feel like we've already sort of commented on what I what I uh, like about it. Yep. There's also he also. Uh, tends to create when it's done well, uh, in film, a real sense of camaraderie with, with the characters that when the characters get along and they decide to sort of team up, there's a real sense of like, oh, these, these people have a bond. Often it's characters that have been in jail together. Um, but, uh, and that's something that I really like about 310 to Yuma is just the, the kinship that these two guys that seem to be opposed to one another, Certainly, with their philosophies, but also with their goals, how they there's something underneath their stations in life that is that they have in common, and so they wind up being kind of friends. It's very strange, to the point where you know what's the name, Ben Wade, Russell Crowe's character, where he is uh, sh- he's fighting off his own men,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so that Christian Bale can successfully get him to this train, right. And that's the thing. I've talked to a lot of people who say, you know, I didn't really understand why that happened, except it didn't feel strange. It didn't feel wrong. It felt like the right thing. Um, and that's one of the complexities of 310 to Yuma. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's great. Um, okay. So I will bring up uh, 2012, a movie came out called Freaky Deaky. I have read that book as well.
1: No legal way to see Karen Sisko, as far as I can tell.
0: That is bullshit. Who do I blame for that? Ford? I feel like that's Ford's problem. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I should, I should have checked out Ford.com. <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, the show's been running 10 years <laughs> over at Ford.com. Um, but uh, yeah, so I've read the book Freaky Deaky, and I really liked it. I thought it was really great um, because it features kind of the usual usual band of low lives and uh, you know, world-weary cops and corrupt millionaires but this also had uh, hippie bombers, which is kind of awesome um, because it's only a matter of time before uh, – it's like you can only plant bombs while uh, high as a kite for so long before you blow yourself up, which right. is one of the things that happens. Um, spoilers. but uh, And that could – and I remember they – Freaky Deaky had been in development hell for years. And uh, when it finally came out, clear it was – written and directed by Charles Mathau uh, Walter Mathau's son. Oh cool. Um, well, you say cool, I say unfortunate okay. because the film I- I'm okay with a film having a B quality, like having B list actors or sometimes like, C list like actors. Like a B movie
1: Jerry Seinfeld? Yeah yeah that's what you were talking about right mm-hmm. who's the bees in them the we'll w- get we'll get you man? next we'll get you next time <laughs>
0: um david has uh stopped he, david has ended the show <laughs> but um yeah i'm i actually feel like because of the nature of some of uh, elmore leonard's stories like having having like b and c-list actors works really well when you think about it jackie brown has that with the exception of like a robert de niro but yeah in the lead it's people that it's two actors that people hadn't th- thought about in years. Yeah. You know, I mean, Jackie Brown admittedly was in, uh, sorry, uh, Pam Greer was in, um, Mars attacks. So there is that, right. but, um, but yeah, freaky deaky. It's got, you know, it's got Billy Burke from twilight. Who's a fine. And, uh, Oh shoot. Revolution. Is there a show called revolution? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he's on that on NBC. Yeah. Uh, but there's got, With and then Giancarlo
1: it's got, Esposito.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I know him. Do you? Yeah. No. I mean not personally, but I okay. feel like I do. You know, you watch Breaking Bad you're like I I understand I got this actor. I got him. But um but yeah, but it also has, you know, Andy Dick and Crispin Glover and Michael Jai White who is always a welcome sight anytime I see him. Yeah. But and but it falls into the same the same bullshit that <laughs> that Uh, Maximum Bob does and that I don't know that I feel like and that Big Bounce does where it's just it takes these characters and they are kind of over the top just as Ray Bones is and it just goes further to the point where it's just like okay well you've put though it takes place in the 70s and so the characters are going to be wearing things that don't not that they don't make sense to us, but that we don't see every day. And you know,
1: but like they just throw, they just put characters in like wig, in like bad wigs. So it sounds like with big trouble, Dave Barry wrote the novel version of the bad movie version of Elmo Leonard's novels. Hang on a minute. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of. And then they made a movie out of that, which wasn't good. It wasn't good. It had its moments though.
0: Um, But yeah, it just, uh, and so free, like I, I started watching freaky deaky last night uh, it was on Netflix, and aside from a really, actually, surprisingly good performance by Christian Slater, um, and a guy who seemed to get it, like in his performance and just in the general design of the character, like that performance belongs in a better adaptation of the book. Um, and that's and you like you watch like watch Out of Sight and then watch Freaky Deaky and you will see both of them based on novels by Elmore Leonard and you'll see like how to get it horrendously wrong uh-huh. or and horrendously inc- right. And hor- oh yeah. <laughs> it's disgusting how right <laughs> they got just, it. Oh, I, I feel like I'm going to throw up. Um, and just, I couldn't, yeah. And I couldn't even finish freaky deaky because it's just like, Oh, I know this story and I don't care. Um, but, one of, you know, we're talking about some of the greatest adaptations, and one thing that everybody, I've not seen a single frame of it, mm-hmm. and everyone says I'll love it, and I have no doubt that I will love it, but everyone says that Justified is one of the best Elmore Leonard adaptations ever. You've seen a lot of it.
1: I stopped watching after season three because I didn't like the third season very much, but uh, yeah, it really, really felt like Elmore Leonard every week, uh, yeah. and I know he was very happy with it and i think its success inspired him to write more at least one more raylan givens novel okay uh, that he wrote a, he wrote one after the show started okay um uh it, it, but yeah and it's also just based on a short story the essentially the pilot episode of justified is the short story i think it's called fire in the hole okay um which is supposed to end with the bad guy dying um and they have him survive because he's Walton Goggins and you want to have him around yeah. <laughs> on the show. Um but uh yeah it really did feel like the the right way to do it, uh, uh you know w- which is uh to to i I guess you're talking about embracing the the B moviness of it or the uh, uh what I would call like the pulp or the genre elements yeah. of it. You know, that, that that's what I really liked about the show at first, and that it, it was very Elmer Leonard-y in that it was uh, knowing and winking and and uh, funny, uh, but it was also uh, real old fashioned in its storytelling. Mm-hmm. And then I think my personal theory is that um, after its second season, which is a phenomenal season of, is television, that the one with Margaret
0: Martindale? Yeah, I like her.
1: It, uh, but after by the end of that second season and uh, in the the period after when people started realizing how great the show was, its profile really blew up. And I think the third season is trying to be something that feels less Elmore leonard to me. It feels more like a carbon copy of every other, like, sort of prestige crime drama, mm-hmm. you know? And that it is... It, it was just... You, you know, I, I, I like... Uh, I, 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 I sound like a broken record, I know, when I talk about TV. But I like... Shows where at least some element of it begins and ends within the episode. I like the idea that an episode, in some way, stands alone. Okay. And I feel like the third season of Justified uh, is way too serial serialized in a way that didn't feel necessary, but it felt like it felt like they were trying to up the stakes because mm-hmm. they knew that they would have a lot more viewers going to the third season than they had in the first two. Yeah. Um. And, and uh, I think they did it in a way that was not was not true to the show or to elmore leonard but people uh you know i mentioned sean who used to do previously on with he even though he also didn't like the third season he went back he watched the fourth season and said it was better so maybe that was just a one uh one season where they stumbled at you know uh just that one time out but uh uh i I don't know because i haven't watched the fourth season but those first two uh seasons are definitely worth checking out okay
0: yeah that's it almost based entirely on what you're saying. Uh, it sounds as though they, the creators of the show, really loved you know this the source material, which is just kind of the general tone of an Elmer Leonard novel, um, and the the character. Mm-hmm. But uh, and they're just like, okay, we just need to try and capture this, you know, week after week, um, and then once people start paying attention, it's like, all right, all right. We gotta start taking it seriously. It's like no, no, no. As I said before, go watch Stick. Yeah. Taking it seriously is wrong.
1: Yeah, and I think, and uh, I mean, in the second season, there's really a textbook of how to do it because it is, uh, it, it 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 is light in the way that Elmer Leonard should be, but also you know when, Mags Bennett played by Margaret Martindale, ki- like poisons someone that death scene like unlike uh, not unlike Bo's death scene in Get Shorty is like. Yeah. Oh, that's that is really rough. Yeah, you know that you're seeing someone drink poison accidentally, realize they're about to die, and then die, while Mags Bennett is being nurturing and matronly and maternal about it, even though she's the one who puts poison in the glass. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's awesome.
0: Um, I'm such a fan of hers. I and she won an Emmy for it, right? I believe so.
1: I I'm very. Watch the Emmys.
0: Oh, I don't watch them either, but it's just I I try to keep track of. Specifically when, like, a character actor gets yeah. something, you know, does some really great work and gets rewarded for it. I like that.
1: Um the other thing before we leave Justified, uh, we were talking about with Karen Sisko shows that were canceled too soon. Graham Yost, who did Ju- Justified, had previously done Boomtown, a uh, show yes. I know you loved. Uh, there are parts of it that I love. Okay. Because yeah. I also think that's a show that, it, even though it did get a truncated second season, uh it it was canceled before its time. Yeah, it could have continued absolutely.
0: Um, now, okay, so real quick, I do want to say, um, looking at the at the IMDb page, uh, there's going to be a movie out this year, apparently called Life of Crime. I do not know when it's coming out, uh, and we did just do our fall movie preview, and maybe it was on, uh, maybe it was kind of a, in. In the in the corner there, and we didn't yeah. we didn't notice it. But uh, that's based on a book called The Switch, which I have read, and that features the characters of Louis Gara and Ordell Roby from uh, Rum Punch slash Jackie Brown, and it's uh, sort of a sorry to use the word prequel. I don't rec- I, he might have written The Switch before Rum Punch, but basically it's these characters younger and. They are played by uh, Louis Gara, the Robert De Niro character, is played by John Hawks. And then Ordel Roby, played by um, Samuel Jackson, is going to be played by Mose Def, an actor that I actually like quite a bit. Uh, or a guy that I like as an actor quite a bit. Um, I have a hard time calling him an actor. I don't think of him in that way. I still think of him as, I don't know, as a musician first. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I guess he is a good actor.
0: Yeah, I loved him in The Woodsman. I thought he was great.
1: He's great. Did you ever see Sixteen Blocks? Though
0: I did, and I I weird like weird choice. <laughs> I like his choice because I don't know.
1: I if just, you don't know, have you haven't seen Sixteen Blocks? It's not something you need to see. Um, it's a solid little movie. He does a weird voice. He does do think a weird voice. Movie. This uh, this cast for of Life of, Life of Crime is crazy. Yeah. Because it's not just and uh and John Hawks. It also has Jennifer Anderson, yeah. Mark Boone Jr., Isla Fisher, Will Forte, and Tim Robbins. Who uh, who directed it? A guy named Daniel Schechter. I haven't seen any of his other work. Okay. Uh, list it off real quick. Maybe um, I've seen I'm getting some to get it. Too. Hold on. Um, so he did uh, "Goodbye, Baby" from 2007. Okay, supporting characters from last year. Okay, and then he's already got. I guess this "Life of Crime" must be done because he's already got another movie called "King of Prussia" coming okay. out next year.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen. I haven't seen those. And you know what? I mean, those are some those are some good casting dis- decisions. So maybe he'll get it right. But it really is like this is kind of how I wanted to end it. Um, what are first off, I think I was going to talk about some of the books that I recommend reading. Um, I recommend stick. I recommend, uh, Tishomingo blues. I recommend one called pagan babies. Um, I really, and, and of course, uh, uh, out of sight and get shorty and rum punch. Uh, although I don't actually recommend rum punch that much. Uh, pronto is really good. And then there's, they're 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 not all in my in my in the forefront of my mind, but uh, but I recommend those. And then I definitely think Stick could be remade successfully. I think Pagan Babies would be great, although it, I get <laughs> uh, it sort of was with Machine Gun Preacher, um, yeah. <laughs> but that's a true story, and Pagan Babies is not. But it's a very similar type of thing. And then Tishomingo Blues is so fascinating,
1: which was supposed to be a movie. I don't know what ever happened. Yeah, but it was going to be like Don, Cheadle's Don Cheadle was Cheadle's yeah. directorial debut.
0: Yeah, I think. And then that fell Unless through. Stuff. And so, um, but uh, what I was going to ask is, in your opinion, who are some filmmakers that you think could adapt uh, Elmore Leonard well?
1: Oh, I wish, you'd, I wish you'd asked me that, like, yesterday. I know, sort of I, just, I some, just
0: thought of it a few minutes ago.
1: Some ideas. Um, I mean, I said
0: the Coen brothers already. I think they could do a good job.
1: Um, Edgar Wright. Uh, <laughs> that would be fun.
0: Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Like that, he's, he's so kinetic, and I
1: don't think of Elmore Leonard as kinetic. Okay. What about... Um, I'm drawing a blank. Catherine Bigelow.
0: That huh? That's interesting. That could be cool. I think uh, I think your Shane Black could do oh, a good yeah. job. Yeah, Although right. he might be inclined to be like, all right, I got I got to get some Shane Blackisms in there. It's like Elmore uh, um, Leonard. Um, yeah, Elmore um, Leonard already did did it for you. Um, but I feel like a Shane Black. I feel like a uh, I don't know. Maybe like a, am trying to think of movies that I think of as clever. Um, um,
1: uh, even though I don't like a lot of his recent work, but Carl Franklin. Oh, absolutely w- would be good. Um, I mean, in fact, you could like out of time does kind of feel Elmo Lendity. Well, and actually, Carl Franklin directed a couple episodes of uh, House of Cards. Oh, okay.
0: Which is clever and and has okay. a kind of a, a crackling energy to it. But and we don't have we we don't have to go too far down this road. But you know, it's you know he he's written so many books over the years that I mean, Mister Majestic. Could be made and like it could be made next year, and there'd be a forty-year gap between the Charles Bronson one and this one. So, has Walter Hill ever
1: directed a a No More Leonard uh, book?
0: uh, I I'm gonna say no, but I feel like that's somehow impossible. It seems like he would have, yeah, but.
1: I, 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 I mean, I mentioned out of time being kind of a you There's a you can make a case that 48 Hours is kind of an Millenard type of it. Does yeah, yeah, type of story in that it has it's honest about racism. <laughs> it has the race issues that we talked about yeah, yeah before. Uh, it's about a criminal. It's funny. Yeah, and I'm trying to
0: think like looking. I'm looking at my uh, my shelf here to see if uh, anything's jumping out at me because uh, I'm trying to think of. It's weird. My my mind immediately goes to com like. Comedy directors, but of course Soderbergh's not a comedy director.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I, I was thinking of non-comedy directors, but or, or who, who, but who have movies that make me laugh. That's why I thought of Walter Hill.
0: What about your Todd Phillips?
1: Oh, that'd be cool.
0: If I you, you know what. Yeah, I mean, based on what you've been telling me about, uh, yeah, Hangovers parts two and three, uh, and his willingness to, you know, embrace know action he, and.
1: But yeah, he will. But I don't know. As much as I do like Todd Phillips' work, I don't know if he'd be able to, um, I guess go the B movie aesthetic, like Mm. you know the way that that a Walter Hill can. I suppose Walter Hill can make a movie that looks lean and mean, whereas Todd Phillips, even when he's making these action movies, they're like The Hangover uh, Part Three, which is very much an action movie. Is it's big and blockbustery. Yeah, Uh, I don't know if he has the restraint in him. To yeah. make A no More
0: Leonard movie. Maybe, uh, maybe like a Nimrod and Tal could do it. Okay. I don't know if that's how you say his last name. I, don't I know never remember. That is, if that is either, but, but And, uh, and we need to, we need to, uh, end the episode. So I'll, I'll throw it uh, out we to We can the, just do this all day. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'll throw it out to the listener if you have, uh, an opinion on directors that you think, uh, could do a good job adapting Elmore Leonard. Feel free to put it in the comments section of, uh, of the post. And then it's also one of the things that's also fun to talk about is actors that could do that well. Like, I found myself frustrated that Vince Vaughn was wasted in Be Cool because he's an actor who absolutely
1: could do the Elmore Leonard thing well. We um, mentioned Sam Rockwell earlier. Oh, no question. Uh, I, I'm like, there's a guy like Walter Hill. I'm surprised that I can't find. Sam Rockwell really never done an letter. <laughs> I guess not.
0: And just, yeah, and I feel like a Robert Downey Jr. could do it well, very well. Um, but, yeah, and it's just, uh, and there's different, and, of course, there's any number of character actors. I mean, you know, if you want, it's like, okay, so let's see, villains. All right, well, what black actors do we know? Because, as we know,
1: right. if you're going to cast a villain. <laughs> he's got to be black, obviously.
0: But uh, But, yeah, and so... And I don't want to necessarily end on that note and make it sound like uh, Elmore Leonard is like some racist guy. I don't think that sort of thing. Uh, uh, maybe it didn't occur to him. Maybe he had his reasons. I don't really. It know. It might be a product
1: but, of the time. I'm not saying that's an excuse. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's not an excuse, but he
0: did. He did die at 87. Uh, he was an older, uh, an older guy. But, um, but I did. Yeah, I did want to end by just saying that, like, he's he's one of the like his his novels were always fascinating. They were always in incredibly engaging. They're genuinely good. I never felt like I was just reading, just like oh, I never felt like I was reading John Grisham. Mm -hmm. And there are people that say John Grisham is good, but you know what I mean. Like something that is disposable, it felt very vital. They always felt vital while I was reading them. And when you go and watch a Jackie Brown out of sight get shorty, you realize oh, well he is vital. Like vital. Like he just he can create stories that are just so. Fun, just genuinely fun, without actually compromising, w- without sacrificing weight, it can still be fun. Yeah, and uh, and he's and thankfully, and while it is sad that he's gone, thankfully he has a huge catalog of of work that you can go and and here's an a neat thing that I should have mentioned last week with Pat is the neat thing about enjoying crime fiction is, uh, you can go to a used bookstore and you'll find it for like a dollar <laughs> 75 per book and just buy somebody's entire catalog as, essentially. Um, and, uh, and I highly recommend if you've not read any, any Elmore Leonard, uh, really, really go and take a look at it because I he's a lot that. of fun. I've, I've
1: only, I've only read one just- when I saw the movie at first and liked it, like yeah. I said, I have the Moonshine War at home. I have Fifty Two Pickup at home. I just have never gotten around to. reading. Yeah, I never read Fifty Two Pickup.
0: <clears throat> so and then, yeah, and there's a few that I, a few books that I still own that I never got around to reading. But that's just because I find I don't have the time to read anymore. I barely have time to watch movies.
1: Yeah,
0: but uh, but yeah. So uh, I guess that's about it. Um, it feels strange to have done an artist profile on somebody that did not work exclusively or like primarily in film, but he kind of did. And we still managed to get almost two hours. out of Damn think. right. We did. Well, some of that was talking about, you know, pronunciation of things, you know, <laughs> the way things are spelled. So, which I'm sure was a very important conversation.
1: Yeah. All right. Um, you can find us at battleshippretention.com. That's where there's all sorts of movie reviews and links to other podcasts in the BP fleet. You can email us David at BattleshipPretension.com or Tyler at battleshippretention.com. You can follow me on Twitter at The Pretension and follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons. That's the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which you can find at morethanonelesson.com. My other podcast is the weekly television review show previously on This Week. Sorry, not previously on. Watch out. Yeah, I, I, I talked about previously on a couple times uh, this episode, so I forgot. Uh, no, my, I'm sorry. My other podcast is the television show Hey, Watch This with Paul and David. That's with King of TV, Paul Goebel. This week, uh, I am out of town, so Paul will be doing uh, an Emmy show with uh, guests, guest or guest to be named. I don't know what he's doing. Okay. Um, so, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.